Chapter Six of the Untilled Field by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Julia Cahill's Curse. In ninety five, I was agent of the Irish Industrial Society, and I spent three days with Father O'Hara making arrangements for the establishment of looms for the weaving of homespuns and for acquiring plots of ground whereupon to build schools where the village girls could practice lace-making the priest was one of the chief supporters of our movement he was a wise and tactful man who succeeded not only in living on terms of friendship with one of the worst landlords in ireland but in obtaining many concessions from him when he came to live in Cullock, the landlord had said to him what he would like to do would be to run the ploughshare through the town and to turn Cullock into Bullock. But before many years had passed, Father O'Hara had persuaded this man to use his influence to get a sufficient capital to start a bacon factory. And the town of Cullock possessed no other advantages except an energetic and foreseeing parish priest it was not a railway terminus nor was it a seaport but perhaps because of his many admirable qualities father o'hara is not the subject of this story we find stories in the lives of the weak and the foolish and the improvident and his name occurs here because he is typical of not a few priests i have met in ireland i left him early one sunday morning and he saying that twenty-odd miles lay before me, and my first stopping-place would be Ballyglissane, that I could hear Mass there at Father Madden's chapel, and after Mass I could call upon him, and when I had explained the objects of our society, I could drive to Rathowen, where there was a great gathering of the clergy. All the priests within ten miles round would be there for the consecration of the new church on an outside car one divides one's time in moralizing on the state of the country or in chatting with the driver and as the driver seemed somewhat taciturn i examined the fields as we passed them they were scanty fields drifting from thin grass into bog and from bog into thin grass again and in the distance there was a rim of melancholy mountains and the peasants I saw along the road seemed a counterpart of the landscape. The land has made them, I said, according to its own image and likeness, and I tried to find words to define the yearning that I read in their eyes as we drove past, but I could find no words that satisfied me. Only music can express their yearning, and they have written it themselves in their folk tunes. My driver's eyes were the eyes that one meets everywhere in Ireland, pale, wandering eyes that the land seems to create, and I wondered if his character corresponded to his eyes, and with a view to finding if it did, I asked him some questions about Father Madden. He seemed unwilling to talk, but I soon began to see that his silence was the result of shyness rather than dislike of conversation. He was a gentle, shy lad, and I told him that Father O'Hara had said I would see the loneliest parish in Ireland. It's true for him, he answered, and again there was silence, 
at the end of a mile i asked him if the land in father madden's parish was poor and he said no it was the best land in the country and then i was certain that there was some mystery attached to father madden the road over there is the mearing and soon after passing this road i noticed that although the land was certainly better than the land about culloch there seemed to be very few people on it and what was more significant than the untilled fields were the ruins for they were not the cold ruins of twenty or thirty or forty years ago when the people were evicted and their tillage turned into pasture but the ruins of cabins that had been lately abandoned some of the roof trees were still unbroken and i said that the inhabitants must have left voluntarily sure they did aren't we all going to america then it was not the landlord ah it's the landlord who'd have them back if he could and the priest how does he get his dues those on the other side are always sending their money to their friends and they pay the priest sure why should we be staying isn't the most of us over there already it's more like going home than leaving home i told him we hoped to establish new looms in the country and that father o'hara had promised to help us father o'hara is a great man he said well don't you think that with the revival of industries the people might be induced to stay at home sorra stay said he i could see that he was not so convinced about the depopulation of father o'hara's parish as he was about father madden's and i tried to induce him to speak his mind well your honour there's many that think there's a curse on the parish a curse and who put the curse on the parish isn't that the bell ringing for mass your honour and listening i could hear a doleful pealing in the grey sky does father madden know of this curse indeed he does none better and does he believe in it there's many who will tell you that he has been saying masses for the last ten years that the curse may be taken off the parish we could now hear the bell tolling quite distinctly and the driver pointed with his whip and i could see the cross above the fir trees and there he said is bridget coyne and i saw a blind woman being led along the road at the moment i supposed he had pointed the woman out because she was blind though this did not seem a sufficient reason for the note of wonder in his voice but we were within a few yards of the chapel and there was no time to ask him who bridget coyne was i had to speak to him about finding stabling for the horse that he said was not necessary he would let the horse graze in the chapel yard while he himself knelt by the door so that he could hear mass and keep an eye on his horse i shall want you half an hour after mass is over half an hour i thought would suffice to explain the general scope of our movement to father madden i had found that the best way was to explain to each priest in turn the general scope of the movement and then to pay a second visit a few weeks later the priest would have considered the ideas that i had put into his head he would have had time to assimilate them in the interval and i could generally tell in the second visit if i should find in him a friend an enemy 
or an indifferent there was something extraordinary in the appearance of father madden's church a few peasants crouched here and there and among them i saw the blind woman that the driver had pointed out on the road she did not move during mass she knelt or crouched with her shawl drawn over her head and it was not until the acolyte rang the communion bell that she dared to lift herself up that day she was the only communicant and the acolyte did not turn the altar cloth over the rails he gave her a little bit of the cloth to hold and holding it firmly in her fingers she lifted up her blind face and when the priest placed the host on her tongue she sank back overcome this blind woman i said to myself will be the priest's last parishioner and i saw the priest saying mass in a waste church for the blind woman everyone else dead or gone all her days i said are spent by the cabin fire hearing of people going to america her relations her brothers and sisters had gone and every seventh day she is led to hear mass to receive the host and to sink back to-day and to-morrow and the next day will be spent brooding over her happiness and in the middle of the week she will begin to look forward to the seventh day the blind woman seemed strangely symbolical and the parish the priest too a short thick-set man with the large bald head and a fringe of reddish hair his hands were fat and short the nails were bitten the nose was fleshy and the eyes were small and when he turned towards the people and said pax vobiscum there was a note of command in his voice the religion he preached was one of fear his sermon was filled with flames and gridirons and ovens and devils with pitchforks and his parishioners groaned and shook their heads and beat their breasts i did not like father madden or his sermon i remembered that there were few young people left in his parish and it seemed waste of time to appeal to him for help in establishing industries but it was my business to seek the cooperation of every priest and i could not permit myself such a license as the passing over of any priest what reason could i give that i did not like his sermon or his bald head and after mass i went round to see him in the sacristy the sacristy was a narrow passage and there were two acolytes in it and the priest was taking off his vestments and the people were knocking constantly at the door and the priest had to tell the acolyte what answer to give i had only proposed to myself to sketch the objects of our organization in a general outline to the priest but it was impossible even to do this so numerous were the interruptions when i came to unfold our system of payments the priest said it is impossible for me to listen to you here you had better come round with me to my house the invitation was not quite in accordance with the idea i had formed of the man and while walking across the fields he asked me if i would have a cup of tea with him and we spoke of the new church at rathowen it seemed legitimate to deplore the building of new churches and i mentioned that while the churches were increasing the people were decreasing and i ventured to regret that only two ideas seemed to obtain in ireland the idea of the religious vocation and the idea of emigration 
i see said father madden you are imbued with all the new ideas but i said you don't wish the country to disappear i do not wish it to disappear he said but if it intends to disappear we can do nothing to prevent it from disappearing everyone is opposed to emigration now but i remember when everyone was advocating it teach them english and emigrate them was the cure now he said you wish them to learn irish and to stay at home and you are quite certain that this time you have found out the true way i live very quietly down here but i hear all the new doctrines besides teaching paddy durkin to feed his pig i hear you are going to revive the gothic music and literature are to follow and among these resurrections there is a good deal of talk about pagan ireland we entered a comfortable well-furnished cottage with a good carpet on the floor and the walls lined with books and on either side of the fireplace there were easy chairs and i thought of the people on the other side he took a pot of tea from the hob and said now let me pour you out a cup of tea and you shall tell me about the looms but i said father madden you don't believe much in the future of ireland you don't take very kindly to new ideas new ideas every ten years there is a new set if i had said teach them irish ten years ago i should have been called a fool and now if i say teach them english and let them go to america i am called a reactionist you have come from father o'hara i could see from the way he said the name that the priests were not friends and he has told you a great many of my people have gone to america and perhaps you heard him say that they have not gone to america for the sake of better wages but because my rule is too severe because i put down cross-road dances father o'hara and i think differently and i have no doubt he thinks he is quite right while we breakfasted father madden said some severe things about father o'hara about the church he had built and the debt that was still upon it i suppose my face told father madden of the interest i took in his opinions for during breakfast he continued to speak his mind very frankly on all the subjects i wished to hear him speak on and when breakfast was over i offered him a cigar and proposed that we should go for a walk on his lawn yes he said there are people who think i am a reactionist because i put down the ball alley the ball alley there used to be a ball alley by the church but the boys wouldn't stop playing ball during mass so i put it down but you will excuse me a moment the priest darted off and i saw him climb down the wall into the road he ran a little way along the road calling at the top of his voice and when i got to the wall i saw him coming back let me help you i said i pulled him up and we continued our walk and as soon as he had recovered his breath he told me that he had caught sight of a boy and girl loitering and i hunted them home i asked him why knowing well the reason and he said young people should not loiter along the roads i don't want bastards in my parish it seemed to me that perhaps bastards were better than no children at all even from a religious point of view 
one can't have religion without life and bastards may be saints in every country i said boys and girls walk together and the only idealism that comes into the lives of peasants is between the ages of eighteen and twenty when young people meet in the lanes and linger by the stiles afterwards hard work in the fields kills aspiration the idealism of the irish people does not go into sex it goes into religion but religion does not help to continue the race and we are anxious to preserve the race otherwise there will be no religion or a different religion in ireland that is not certain later on i asked him if the people still believed in fairies he said that traces of such belief survived among the mountain folk there is a great deal of paganism in the language they wish to revive though it may be as free from protestantism as father o'hara says it is for some reason or other i could see that folklore was distasteful to him and he mentioned casually that he had put a stop to the telling of fairy tales around the fire in the evening and the conversation came to a pause now i won't detain you much longer father madden my horse and car are waiting for me you will think over the establishment of looms you don't want the country to disappear no i don't and though i do not think the establishment of workrooms an unmixed blessing i will help you you must not believe all father o'hara says the horse began to trot and i to think he had said that the idealism of the irish peasant goes into other things than sex if this be true the peasant is doomed i said to myself and i remembered that father madden would not admit that religion is dependent on life and i pondered in this country religion is hunting life to the death in other countries religion has managed to come to terms with life in the south men and women indulge their flesh and turn the key on religious inquiry in the north men and women find sufficient interest in the interpretation of the bible and the founding of new religious sects one can have faith or morals both together seem impossible remembering how the priest had chased the lovers i turned to the driver and asked if there was no courting in the country there used to be courting he said but now it is not the custom of the country any longer how do you make up your marriages the marriages are made by the parents and have often seen it that the young couple did not see each other until the evening before the wedding sometimes not until the very morning of the wedding many a marriage i've seen broken off for half a sovereign well he said if not for half a sovereign for a sovereign one party will give forty-nine pounds and the other party wants fifty and they haggle over that pound and then the boy's father will say well if you won't give the pound you can keep the girl but do none of you ever want to walk out with a young girl i said we're like other people sir we would like it well enough but it isn't the custom of the country and if we did it we would be talked about i began to like my young carmen and his answer to my question pleased me as much as any answer he had yet given me and i told him that father madden objected to the looms because they entailed meetings etc 
and if he were not present the boys would talk on subjects they should not talk about now do you think it is right for a priest to prevent men from meeting to discuss their business i said turning to the driver determined to force him into an expression of opinion it isn't because he thinks the men would talk about things they should not talk about that he is against an organization didn't he tell your honor that things would have to take their course that is why he will do nothing because he knows well enough that everyone in the parish will have to leave it that every house will have to fall only the chapel will remain standing and the day will come when father tom will say mass to the blind woman and to no one else did you see the blind woman today at mass sir in the right-hand corner with the shawl over her head yes i said i saw her if any one is a saint that woman seems to be one yes sir she is a very pious woman and her piety is so well known that she is the only one who dared to brave father madden she was the only one who dared to take julia cahill to live with her it was julia who put the curse on the parish a curse but you are joking no your honor there was no joke in it i was only telling you what must come she put her curse on the village twenty years ago and every year a roof has fallen in and a family has gone away and you believe that all this happened on account of julia's curse to be sure i do he said he flicked his horse pensively with the whip and my disbelief seemed to disincline him for further conversation but i said who is julia cahill and how did she get the power to lay a curse upon the village was she a young woman or an old one a young one sir how did she get the power didn't she go every night into the mountains she was seen one night over yonder and the mountains are ten miles off and whom would she have gone to see except the fairies and who could have given her the power to curse the village but who saw her in the mountains she would never walk so far in one evening a shepherd saw her sir but he may have been mistaken he saw her speaking to someone and nobody for the last two years that she was in this village dared to speak to her but the fairies and the old woman you saw at mass to-day sir now tell me about julia cahill what did she do it is said sir she was the finest girl in these parts i was only a gossoon at the time about eight or nine but i remember that she was tall sir nearly as tall as you are and she was as straight as one of those poplar trees he said pointing to three trees that stood against the sky she walked with a little swing in her walk so that all the boys i have heard who were grown up used to look after her and she had fine black eyes sir and she was nearly always laughing this was the time when father madden came to the parish there was courting in it then and every young man and every young woman made their own marriages and their marriages were made at the crossroad dancing and in the summer evenings under the hedges there was no dancer like julia they used to gather about to see her dance and whoever walked with her under the hedges in the summer could never think about another woman 
the village was fairly mad about her many a fight there was over her so i suppose the priest was right he had to get rid of her but i think he might not have been so hard upon her as he was it is said that he went down to her house one evening julia's people were well-to-do people they kept a shop you might have seen it as we came along the road just outside of the village it is and when he came in there was one of the richest farmers in the country who was trying to get julia for his wife instead of going to julia he had gone to her father there are two counters in the shop and julia was at the other and she had made many a good pound for her parents in that shop and he said to the father now what fortune are you going to give with julia and the father said there was many a man who would take her without any and julia was listening quietly all the while at the opposite counter the man who had come to marry her did not know what a spirited girl she was and he went on till he got the father to say that he would give seventy pounds and thinking he had got him so far he said julia will never cross my doorway unless you give her eighty pounds julia said never a word she just sat there listening and it was then that the priest came in he listened for a while and then he went over to julia and said are you not proud to hear that you will have such a fine fortune and he said i shall be glad to see you married i would marry you for nothing for i cannot have any more of your goings-on in my parish you're the beginning of the dancing and courting here the ball alley too i am going to put all that down julia did not answer a single word to him and he went over to them that were disputing about the eighty pounds and he said now why not make it seventy-five and the father agreed to that since the priest said it and the three men thought the marriage was settled and father tom thought that he would get not less than ten pounds for the marrying of her they did not even think to ask her and little did they think what she was going to say and what she said was that she would not marry anyone till it pleased herself and that she would pick a man out of this parish or out of the next that pleased her her husband would marry her and not so many pounds to be paid when they signed the book or when the first baby was born this is how marriages are settled now well sir the priest went wild when he heard julia speak like this he had only just come to the parish and did not know how self-minded julia was her father did though and he said nothing he let julia and the priest fight it out and he said to the man who had come to marry her my good man you can go your way you will never get her i can tell that and the priest was heard saying do you think i am going to let you go on turning the head of every boy in the parish do you think i am going to see fighting and quarrelling for you do you think i am going to see you first with one boy and then with the other do you think i am going to hear stories like i heard last week about poor peter carey who they say has gone out of his mind on account of your treatment no he said i will have no more of you i will have you out of my parish or i will have you married julia tossed her head and her father got frightened he promised the priest that she would walk no more with the young men in the evenings for he thought he could keep her at home 
but he might just as well have promised the priest to tie up the winds julia was out the same evening with a young man and the priest saw her and next evening she was out with another and the priest saw her and not a bit minded was she at the end of the month to marry any of them it is said that he went down to speak to her a second time and again a third time it is said that she laughed at him after that there was nothing for him to do but to speak against her from the altar the old people say there were some terrible things in the sermon i have heard it said that the priest called her the evil spirit that sets men mad i don't suppose father madden intended to say so much but once he is started the words come pouring out the people did not understand half of what he said but they were very much frightened and i think more frightened at what they did not understand than at what they did soon after that the neighbours began to be afraid to go to buy anything in cahill's shop even the boys who were most mad after julia were afraid to speak to her and her own father put her out no one in the parish would speak to her they were all afraid of father madden if it had not been for the blind woman you saw in the chapel to-day sir she would have had to go to the poor-house the blind woman has a little cabin at the edge of the bog and there julia lived she remained for nearly two years and had hardly any clothes on her back but she was beautiful for all that and the boys as they came back sir from the market used to look towards the little cabin in the hopes of catching sight of her they only looked when they thought they were not watched for the priest still spoke against her he tried to turn the blind woman against julia but he could not do that the blind woman kept her until money came from america some say that she went to america some say that she joined the fairies but one morning she surely left the parish one morning pat quinn heard somebody knocking at his window somebody asking if he would lend his cart to take somebody to the railway station it was five o'clock in the morning and pat was a heavy sleeper and he would not get up and it is said that she walked barefooted all the way to the station and that is a good ten miles but you said something about a curse yes sir a man who was taking some sheep to the fair saw her there was a fair that day he saw her standing at the top of the road the sun was just above the hill and looking back she cursed the village raising both hands sir up to the sun and since that curse was spoken every year a roof has fallen in there was no doubt that the boy believed what he had told me i could see that he liked to believe the story that it was natural and sympathetic to him to believe in it and for the moment i too believed in a dancing girl becoming the evil spirit of a village that would not accept her delight he has sent away life i said to myself and now they are following life it is life they are seeking it is said your honour that she has been seen in america and i am going there this autumn you may be sure i will keep a lookout for her but all this is twenty years ago you will not know her a woman changes a good deal in twenty years 
there will be no change in her your honour she has been with the fairies but sir we shall be just in time to see the clergy come out of the cathedral after the consecration he said and he pointed to the town it stood in the middle of a flat country and as we approached it the great wall of the cathedral rose above dirty and broken cottages and great masses of masonry extended from the cathedral into the town and these were the nunnery its schools and laundry altogether they seemed like one great cloud when i said will a ray from the antique sun break forth and light up this country again end of julia cahill's curse